0: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, and welcome to The Short Stuff. I'm Josh, there's Chuck, there's Jerry, and this is the abbreviated version of Stuff You Should Know. Short Stuff!
1: (laughs) That's right. And this one we're going to talk about uh, as... As dumb hippie liberals, we're going to talk about our favorite thing,
0: snowflakes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.
1: It's funny how that got co-opted, because I think it's quite a compliment. I'm like, yeah, I am an individual.
0: I know. I am unique. (laughs) You want to know what you do when somebody calls you a snowflake? You just smile and twirl to show them all you got. Yep, and say, who doesn't love snowflakes? I love being a snowflake. (laughs) So here's the deal. The the whole point of this
1: uh, 14 minutes that you're going to undertake with us is the old, um, not wives' tale, because it's true, the old notion that snowflakes are actually unique. Every single snowflake is actually unique. And the answer to that, we're happy to say, is yes.
0: It certainly seems to be the case. Yeah, it's awesome. I feel like we've done something on this, like maybe in one of our short videos before, or something like that. Maybe, but i wonder if we said the opposite but now no. that we did this research i'm like how could we possibly have said the opposite it's just not it's not possible
1: yeah i mean we we should say that a lot of snowflakes and we're going to go through how they're they're formed but in the very early stages snowflakes can be pretty identical and and even in the end sometimes they can be similar but technically they are all unique right because right. so many different things can affect each individual snowflake along the way that there's just no way that they could be the same.
0: Yeah, it takes a mind-boggling number of factors and inputs, each of which variables, I guess you'd call them, each of which can change and just change to one of them, got a different snowflake. Change to a couple, it got an even more different snowflake. There's just so many, so many different things that go into making a snowflake that yeah, it's it's just not possible that they're not all unique. But to understand all this. You have to understand how a snowflake is made. And by golly, Chuck and I are just the people to tell you. (laughs) All right. So we did some, uh, I think
1: it was our our Happy Clouds episode, which was really terrific, uh, quite a few years ago, which you can refer to if you want a longer explanation. But um, when when rain or, in this case, snow falls out of the sky, it starts down on the surface of the earth Mm -hmm. um, as water that evaporates from our lakes, our oceans, our rivers rises up into the atmosphere uh, as water vapor, and sometimes that can form a happy, puffy cloud.
0: It can. And then depending on the type of cloud, and if it's cold enough, which it usually is, some of that water vapor will condense around, say, like a piece of dust or something like that. It will condense in from water vapor, which is a gas, into liquid, which is a liquid water. And usually it does it around like a piece of dust or something that, that nucleates it. But what what the, another way to say it is it reaches its dew point, the point or the temperature where it changes from vapor into liquid. And as it does that, if it's cold enough, it will then turn into ice. And what you have is basically the, the beginning standard template of a snowflake, which if you stopped and said, okay, right now are all snowflakes alike, mm-hmm. you would say, yeah, they're actually they're They're pretty similar, sure, we'll go with that, but that's just like the beginning of the snowflake. It's the the basis of it. It's the like I said the template that all snowflakes start from, and it's usually just a little six sided hexagonal plate.
1: yeah, so you, you have these little tiny ice crystals uh, they start floating around in the sky and smashing and colliding with other water vapor molecules along the way, and every time it does that, it collects uh well, yeah, I guess it collects it sort of contacts these crystals. And it sort of just starts collecting this stuff and getting a little more solid and a little more substantial all around that little original nucleus mm-hmm. that was uh, where they were all similar to one another.
0: Right. And then so this snowflake, as it's kind of moving around up in the atmosphere, like I'm building, I'm growing, it runs into other water vapor. And that water vapor, rather than going through the trouble of go- moving from a gas to a liquid, to a solid, which is, you know, an ice crystal, it just, it it goes through what's called deposition. It goes straight from water vapor into a solid and attaches to that snowflake template. And as it does so, um, it will start to form some of the more intricate details of that snowflake. And that happens again and again, and again, and again. And you get layer after layer after layer of ice crystals forming on this plate. And all of a sudden you have like arms that stick out and those arms start to get detailed. Now the snowflake is starting to take shape. So you've got water vapor that freezes and starts to attract other water vapor that freezes onto it, that starts to give snowflakes their size and their shape. But there's lots more um, variables involved.
1: That's right. And we'll take a little break here. We're going to come back and talk about the remaining formation of snowflakes right after this.
0: Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420 foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from zero to seventy four on the first vertical speedway. And
1: what about the rollback?
0: Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb four hundred twenty feet in the sky so you reach zero G's in total weightlessness. Four hundred twenty feet of straight up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill Two, the world's tallest and fastest triple launch Stratacoaster. Get your tickets at CedarPoint.com. You know, true love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another. And every time after that, it's taking long walks together in the summer or gazing longingly into each other's eyes and watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard.
1: Well, the Pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight, and honestly, the answer is yes. Uh, As everyone knows from listening to this show, we have pulled all of our dogs off the street that Emily and I have had over the years, either right off the street or through a local shelter and working with them. And they've all become valued family members, and we think they've appreciated it
0: too. Yeah, Chuck, there is a pedigree loyalty survey that found that 90% of first-time dog owners report having a dog improved at least one of their relationships, and 80% of first-time dog owners are overwhelmingly more likely to have made at least one new connection as a result of getting a dog. And 95% of all dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than they ever expected. Not a big surprise.
1: That's true. We all know that adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime meaningful connection and real love can exist between a pet and a pet parent. You
0: got that straight.
1: Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes. Opening your home to a dog can help open your heart. And Love at First Sight is closer than you think because it's available at your local dog shelter.
0: Yeah, very important point. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive. From June 7th to June 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. That's right. So just visit
1: slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. All right, so you mentioned that it was uh, hexagonal, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or did you say hexagonal?
0: I think I said hexagonal, (laughs) like a
1: dum-dum. And so, you know, you've got these little arms sticking out, and sometimes on the edge of these arms, they're a little uh, jagged. uh, It's it's sort of like jagged, like a serrated knife. And these uneven areas, it's, you know, exactly what you think. Because they're uneven and stuff sticking out a little farther, it's going to attract even more water molecules Mm -hmm. than it would if it was smooth. And uniform, like other parts of that same snowflake. So that's how you build out when you think of like, or if you see a, you know, a a microscopic view of a snowflake, uh, those are what those little arms and those little jagged crystals sticking off that make it so beautiful. That's what's going on there.
0: Right, and like you said... Because these arms are kind of like sticking out there, they're attracting more and more water vapor that's sticking to them. And it's building out and growing out into this um, larger, more intricate, more detailed crystalline structure. So once you have those arms, it seems to be almost like, ai don't want to say a tipping point. You know why. But um, (laughs) that is what happens. And all of a sudden, the snowflake starts to really take shape.
1: Yeah, and here's where the environment comes into play, because depending on a lot of different factors, like uh, temperature, obviously, uh, humidity, um, like really, really, really cold temperature, Mm -hmm. that will really vary what kind of snowflakes, like size and shape that you're going to get.
0: Yeah, and I was like, why temperature? So temperature is a measure of the um the movement, the energy of like uh, like molecules or atoms or whatever, right? Yeah. But I couldn't figure out why the lower the temperature, the more intricate the snowflake got. Yeah, what is that? Everything I saw was just basically like, hmm, that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's what we're going to have to go <laughs> with too, basically, is <laughs> it's just the way it is. If you understand why that... Is the case, please tell us, because we want to know, right? Yeah, like
1: those, when you think of those, uh, they describe it as fern-like arms, Mm -hmm. like those awesome-looking arms with all the little jagged things sticking off. That's when it's like prime snowflake time, when it's super, super cold.
0: Right, precisely. Um, So uh, you've got extra moisture, like if it's a little more humid, mm-hmm. that that's going to um, affect the shape of the uh, snowflake. It's going to make them fatter usually. And then lower temperature. So if you got somehow higher higher humidity, lower temperature, that's when you get your true money snowflakes that people like put on the cover of National Geographic.
1: Yeah, lower humidity is flatter. Mm-hmm. Um, higher is fatter.
0: Is, is that right? right? That's,
1: that's the rhyme that I was raised with. <laughs> Uh, and and like you said if it's super humid and super mm-hmm. cold that's that's the rock star. Yes. Okay.
0: So, okay, that's the physics of making a snowflake. There's all those different variables. There's some other ones too, like snowflakes that are forming will collide with one another, then some of their arms will break off. So, they that will then attract even more ice crystals. So that's going to change the shape in, uh, of it um the, the different conditions that form that are all factors and variables in the forming of a snowflake, all of those things change from cubic centimeter or cubic millimeter of air um, between one next to another. So, a snowflake that forms in this one part or is passing through this one part of the atmosphere yeah. is going to be subject to these variables, but those same variables will be totally different you know, a couple of cubic centimeters over. So, you've got all these different variables that are, are coming into it, and Apparently when you add these variables up it, it becomes a there becomes a mind-boggling number of different possible combinations of uh, snowflake shapes and crystalline structure so much so that it just seems basically impossible that the, the over the current age of the universe certainly over the current age of earth that enough snowflakes have fallen that two of them could ever have been alike.
1: Yeah, so they estimate um As many as a quintillion quintillion number of molecules or Mm -hmm. quintillion molecules (laughs) in a single snowflake, and that the possible combinations of all these uh, molecules and potential combinations Mm -hmm. uh, are uh, two times as many as atoms as there are atoms in the entire universe.
0: So I looked that up. Is that could that be possible? That's that's what this article says. Yeah, (laughs) the the number of atoms in the universe is either between ten to the seventy eighth power and ten to the eighty second power total atoms in the universe, which is between ten quadrillion vigintillion and a hundred. No, I swear to God, (laughs) and a hundred thousand quadrillion vigintillion (laughs) atoms. So twice that. Twice
1: that. He literally just sounded like like a ten year old. I know. I felt Quijin, like a ten year old.
0: Basically, <laughs> so that the, the there's that many different possible combinations of snowflakes, um, and that's just the structure. If you take into account the different uh, the different water molecules that come together, what time span would it take? Yeah. For s- enough snowflakes to fall and enough of this 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 snowflake formation to happen that all of those same water molecules happen to come together again and that snowflake happens to take the same form because it's exposed to the same variables it, it just it, it probably will never ever ever happen
1: yeah i mean a tiny fleck of dust can change the crystals yeah uh the angle where you know we we're talking about how they collide with one another it's it's like a car crash if you get t-boned your cars gonna look different than if you get hit head on. Right. And it's the same there. Depending on the angle in which they collide, that's gonna change the shape of the snowflake. So <laughs> it really seems true that there may have never been two snowflakes exactly alike. In you, the end.
0: You may be the first human being to ever use a car crash to illustrate <laughs> how snowflakes can be different. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, so that's why everyone, you can go around and feel very confident explaining to all of your friends and coworkers and loved ones that it is true. No two snowflakes are alike. They're all unique and different. Uh, And if you want to get in touch with us about this, you can go onto our website, know.com, Check out our social links there. And, uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com.